Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California. Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you do too. I've got another live one for you today. This one is by the writer Kendra Fortmeyer and was recorded in Austin, Texas. Kendra is a writer of magical stories of many stripes. She recently published her debut YA novel, Hole in the Middle, a body-positive fantasy tale about friendship and romance, featuring a protagonist with, well, a literal hole through the center of her body. She's also a Pushcart Prize winner and a graduate of the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop. I was also excited to collaborate with an incredible local musician, a master of sense, Peter Tran. Peter plays music as part of Curved Light, HD Sunrise, and Lower Dens. Now, I don't want to tell you too much about today's story because it's pretty delicious to discover it on its own. And you're definitely going to want to stay tuned after the story ends for my onstage conversation with Kendra. Now, enjoy. Then let's take a deep breath. (sighs) And let's begin. Asymmetry by Kendra Fortmeyer. She arrived at the date and found herself already there. She was a champion warrior, but this was not a thing she had thought to worry about. The list included, is this a date? Is this not a date? Am I ready? Is he a psycho-rapist murderer who is going to drug-rape-murder me? What if I'm a bad kisser? And even what if dinner makes me gassy and he leans in to kiss me and I let one rip and the whole evening comes down around our ears? (laughs) So when the man answered the door and looked blank and then blanched, the woman blurted, you forgot I was coming. She was clutching a bottle of Merlot that had been tagged Reginald's pick 
at the store and had been more or less on sale, hoping that someone named Reginald, in fact, was someone who knew anything about wine. Now she wanted to crawl inside of it or hit him over the head with it and run. She heard a woman's laugh behind him, a things aren't funny but we're pretending that they are laugh. There was the scraping of a chair and footsteps. Over the man's paralyzed shoulder, a face appeared. It was her face. Oh my God, the two of them murmured in unison. The women sat on the man's couch, studied him and each other, and the bottles of wine. (laughs) This is a joke, the man said. You're identical twins, he said to the first one. The other. And you're playing a joke. No, the women said in unison. I'm an only child. This is sick, the man muttered. He was slumped in a terrible plaid armchair. It never would have worked out between them with an armchair like that. (laughs) The women could see that now. (laughs) Who are you? The first woman said. The other of her said her name. It was the woman's name. They regarded each other, considering looking for the perfect clue. But there was only one. When did he leave? The other asked softly. She didn't need to say, your husband. She said he with a capital H, like something venerated, then dead. The woman answered, six weeks ago Sunday. Tears pricked the other's eyes. Something stirred in the first woman's heart, a visceral pang of sympathy for herself. She had not been able to find anyone else to understand how raw she'd felt these last weeks. Her body, ponderous and weighty, sunlight bruising her eyes. Her friends had been pushing her to move on, to date find another fish. She reached across and took the other's hand and they linked fingers aching together. So you're not twins, the man said, startling them. They had forgotten he was there. You never met each other before and you're both at my house for dinner. Yes, they said, perhaps a little too emphatically. Can we at least open the second bottle of wine then? He asked piteously. (laughs) Go ahead, the women said. He scurried off toward the kitchen. The women stared at the bottle of wine in his wake. It was, she saw, not Reginald's pick at all, but something different. A bottle with a shimmering blue label and an abstract design. Something evocative of wings and the word elusive. Where did that come from? She asked. I brought it, said other her. I liked the label. 
But how do you know if it's good? The woman asked. I don't, the other said. But I always think about things, the woman thought. She was disappointed in herself, but also relieved. She felt somehow that this could make sense of everything. The man returned and sat in his terrible chair with two half-empty glasses of cheap wine. Everyone overthinks everything these days. The women looked at him, and he hastily added, But that's fine. I I like that in a woman. Uh, Women. (laughs) The women looked at each other. I guess we should go home, they said. I only cooked enough for two, he said apologetically. He walked them to the door. This is the weirdest date I've ever been on, he said. So it was a date, the woman said. They had been suspicious. They awkwardly hugged him goodbye, walked each other out. It was a disappointment to find that they had just one car parked in the space where both had parked it. They stood, fingering their identical keys in their identical purses, wondering what it would mean to take their two bodies home to the empty one-bedroom apartment. Do you want me to drive? The other said at last, Gratefully, the woman curled up in the passenger seat of her own car. She watched the city streets slide by and basked in the glow of being taken care of by herself. Everything was not the same. There was discomfort over the shared toothbrush, confusion over which side of the bed was Hughes. Each still considered herself the original one. Neither wanted to accept being a copy. They established a system, took turns going to work in the woman's law office, doing the dishes, the shopping. They got hungry together, missed their husband together, furiously and unashamedly. When they woke in the night, frightened of the sounds outside, they took turns getting up, patrolling the darkened exterior rooms. After a week of cohabitation, the other called a security company and had alarms installed, and they dozed snug and safe, identically entwined beneath one shared quilt. The thing they were most grateful for was someone to share their loneliness without judgment. They stroked each other's hair in bed, sometimes laughed, sometimes cried. The world, closed to lonely people, opened up again, like a flower. The HOV lane on the highway. (laughs) Two-for-one admissions. Full-sized gallons of milk. The woman had missed the movies after the husband left, felt too ashamed to go by herself. Now, she and the other went to matinees, split swimming pool-sized Cokes and popcorns. They always thought the same previews looked good. They always laughed at the same jokes. 
Pulling out of the parking lot one evening, the other said, This is actually better than it used to be. The woman looked over stunned. How can you say that? She said. The other shrugged uncomfortably. He never liked the same movies I did. We did, she said. The woman said, but then we could talk about it afterward. We could debate. And he always spent the whole movie hitting our arm and saying, who's that actress? I know I've seen her in something. What did I see her in? The woman shifted in her seat, looked out the window. I'm just saying, the other said. It's not so bad now. The light turned yellow and the other slowed to a stop. It was out of consideration for the woman. Her vulnerability had been consuming everything lately. She checked the locks three times before leaving the house, flinched when lighting the stove. The week before, coming home from the bank, they'd seen a car hurtle through a red light and T-bone a lavender minivan. And the woman had cried all afternoon, imagining those poor kids. That poor mother. The other checked beneath the car for them in dark parking lots, tested the bathwater before they climbed in. Don't be mad, the other said. Light turned green and lit her hair marine. I'm just trying to look on the bright side. The woman chewed her salt shriveled lips, glaring at her reflection in the rearview mirror as they slowly accelerated toward home. The woman came in late from work one evening, stomping the cold out of her toes. God, I hate him, she announced. What a piece of scum. She had been parked in the driveway for 20 minutes, trying to decide if she should call her ex-husband. She had become embarrassed doing these things in the house, pausing over the phone, checking her email incessantly for messages that didn't come. Her stomach ached with the pressure of shrinking from her own scrutiny. The other was draped over the arm of the couch, reading Crime and Punishment with one eye closed. The house was warm, smelled richly of coffee and takeout Chinese. The woman had always wanted to read Crime and Punishment. She was happy to see that one of her was finally doing it. Hey, the woman said. She felt awkward calling the other by her own name, tried to avoid using it. She sat on the floor, sipped at the other's coffee. The other's coffee was cold and too sweet, a syrupy shock to her tongue. She sighed and leaned her head against the other's thigh. The other lowered the book, peered down its spine at the woman. What's going on? She asked, but her voice sounded tired. I miss him so much, the woman said. So just call him, the other said. She gestured to the mug. There's some fresh in the kitchen. Could you get me some? The woman ignored the mug. She felt obliquely betrayed. I can't call him. We hate him. 
He won't tell us anything we want to hear anyway. The same old mantras, the security of them, right? Whatever, the other said. If you want to do it, then do it. She disappeared again behind Dostoevsky. The woman sat still, cradling the cold mug of coffee like a nest. She wanted the other to convince her. She wanted the two of them to call him together, like high school girls in 80s movies, clinging breathlessly to the receiver together and listening. She knew, since they were the same person, that the other knew what she needed. But the other kept reading, and the woman, lonely on the floor, sipped chill and sugary coffee and listened to the pages turn without her. The woman began to get smaller. Nobody else seemed to notice. Her co-workers greeted her as always, dropping cheery hellos as they zipped past her cubicle. No one in the break room asked in a puzzled way if she had changed anything, her hair, maybe. But it was getting harder for the woman to reach the wine glasses in their high cabinet. Driving the car after the other, she had to adjust the seat. She wanted to seek help, to find a specialist, but she didn't know where to start. She wished that her ex-husband were there. He had always been better at these things than she had. When she came home from work on the third day of shrinking, the house smelled like curry. Cardboard boxes lined the halls. The other was in the kitchen, stirring something in an unfamiliar pot. What's all that? the woman asked. She fiddled with her wedding band, dangling loosely on her shrunken finger. Chana masala, the other said. I found a recipe online. Do you think we should go vegetarian? No, the woman said. What's that in the hall? I cleaned out our closet. The other said. She lifted the lid of the rice pot. Beads of fragrant steam clung gem-like to her hair. There was stuff in there we hadn't worn in years. The woman stared at the other's face so hard she thought she could split the flesh, peel it away to reveal cold, unfeeling bone. She tried to keep her voice light. Do you mind if I go through it? In case you got rid of something I want. The other pulled out hot pads, sighed. I'm worried that we're sort of a pack rat. The woman said, think of all the closet space we have now. She tried to force a laugh. It sounded like swallowing a seagull. The other said nothing, carried plates to the table. The woman went and stood in the darkened hallway breathing cumin and garlic and surveying the boxes of her past life she had lived when she had a husband and was whole. One by one, she hauled them back up the ever-growing stairs. At the end of the month, 
the woman on tiptoe got their utilities and mortgage and car payment bills. She sat on a stack of phone books at the kitchen table, head swimming. We need money, she said. The other peered over her shoulder. Do we, she said. We don't eat much. I know, the woman said. She didn't mention the new clothes, the night creams, the flowers, the perfume, the things the other seemed to think she was entitled to now that she was a single woman. The other considered. I could get a new job, she said, if you don't mind going to the office every day. Great, the woman said. Like what? I was thinking I might start dancing, said the other. Like, the woman felt extraordinarily stupid even before she finished saying it, ballet? <laughs> the other smirked a little and tried to hide it. The hiding was the worst part. Marie has a friend who does it, she said. She says she can bring home 600 a night, at least. The woman weighed $3,000 a week against her personal sense of revulsion. I've never wanted to do that, she said instead. The other shrugged. I don't think it would be that bad, she said. Who are you? The woman wanted to say, but the other leaned across her and added in her own handwriting $12,000 to the monthly income column. If it's no fun, I'll quit, she said over her shoulder as she went upstairs. The woman sat alone at the table, staring at the numbers, her feet dangling from the chair like a child's. When she couldn't see over the steering wheel anymore, the woman called in sick to work. She lay under the bed, feeling tiny and desolate, and missing her husband. She wanted him to come cradle her in his big arms, make her feel safe again. Come on, the other said on the third day, standing over the bed. Get yourself cleaned up. I can't, the woman said. That's a lie, the other said. She was wearing sea glass green heels that the woman didn't recognize. Her toenails were purple. Get up. I don't want to, the woman said. The floor was cool and hard under her back. She felt it grinding into her bones, numbing her spine, skull, elbows. She liked the grinding. It made her feel arrested in the present. It helped her forget that she was disappearing day by day. The other sighed and scooched beneath the bed beside her. Her body was large and warm and reassuring, and the smell of soap rolled off her skin. The woman rolled her head onto the other's giant shoulder and caught as she did the other wrinkling her nose. The woman had not showered in days. She had not seen the point. Now she felt quietly ashamed. I just feel so sad, she said. That small token, that peace offering of their shared lives. The other 
patted her hand. I know you do, she said. But her eyes were far away. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire. Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fog up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Now, let's get back to our story. It was late on a Saturday night, and the woman was the size of a large toddler. She sat curled on the couch in a tent-sized sweater and tried not to think about the other, out working, the eyes of strange men on the body that had been her own, of the system-scummed dollars, 
the hands. The woman watched the wall clock toss seconds against the blank-faced windows until the emptiness filled her with nausea. Then she picked up the phone and dialed her ex-husband. The phone rang too loudly. When he picked up, he sounded like he'd been asleep. What do you want, he said. It sounded like the voice of the man she had loved, but another voice. It sounded like nothing she understood. Hi, she said. She leaned her whole head into the cradle of the phone, closed her eyes. Nothing. I just wanted to see how you were doing. I thought you made it pretty clear you never wanted to hear from me again, he said warily. She wanted to ask, what? When? But she already knew. She knew what she would have said if she were braver and solid on her feet. The woman hated that the other had talked to him and not told her. She hated the other for having heard his voice. I'm sorry, the woman said. I haven't been myself lately. I don't know what you want. His voice broke a familiar whine of fatigue. She remembered it from the nights when he was up working, wrecked with insomnia, pacing their small kitchen. She would come down some nights, make him a cup of tea. Other nights, she slept. Those were the nights she regretted after it was all over, when all she could think of was the million small ways in which she had not loved him enough to keep him. I know, she said. I'm sorry. I, I just really miss you. <laughs> you miss me? He laughed shortly. <laughs> that explains so much. Like why you don't return my calls for a fucking week and when you finally pick up, you tell me to eat Drano. <laughs> You've been calling for a week? The woman asked faintly. Make up your mind, her ex-husband said. I can't keep doing this. He hung up the phone. The woman sat on the couch, numb, she woke to the gentle click of the door, the other slipping in from the night. It was some lovely, lonely hour between midnight and pre-dawn. The chill air flooded the room like a whisper, kissed the coffee table, the coat rack, the books and teacups littering the floor. The woman looked at this, the other's mess, and felt like lead. He said he'd been calling for a week, the woman said. Her tongue was swollen too large for her mouth. The other hung her coat and keys. She didn't answer. A week, the woman said loudly. Why didn't you tell me? The other's mascarid eyes glittered in the dark. Because it shouldn't matter to you anymore. The woman struggled to her feet. The sweater too large for her body, slipped to her elbow, exposing her shoulder to the cold. It was eight years of my life, she growled. Was eight years, said the other. Was, okay, it's over, move on. The woman laughed bitterly. The noise bounced off the side of the other's enormous breast and fell to the floor and shriveled.
No wonder he left us, she said. He knew I was half enormous bitch. The other grabbed her hand suddenly, so hard that the woman cried out, her tiny palm eclipsed by the giant grip. It was a shitty thing that happened to you. The other spoke low and urgently. She was just pieces in the dark built of shadows and scraps of moonlight. It was shitty and it was unfair and you didn't deserve it. But you can't let it destroy your life. I'm not letting anything, the woman shrilled. You're hurting me. Let go. Bullshit, the other said softly and released her. The woman clutched her hand to herself, turning it over like a treasured thing. She flexed it experimentally, smooth and whole. I quit the club, the other said, rising. It wasn't for me. I'm going to bed. Come up when you're ready. The other disappeared upstairs. The woman sat for a long time in the dark, cradling her hand and watching the silent phone, cold and remote as a stone in a well. Ring, she begged it. Ring. Come save me from myself. Eventually, when the sky began to streak pink, the woman crept up to bed. She was frightened of herself, but had nowhere else to go. She was so little now that she had to climb up the night table, the drawers of which had been left open for her. The woman awoke so small that she was lost in the bedding. She screamed and screamed for the other, but her tiny voice wandered weakly into the comforter, was lost among the thread count. She weighed so little now that she made no dent. She wanted her husband. She wanted everything to go back to the way it was when she was normal and happy and thought she was going to be that way forever. That's what's most unfair, she thought. He stole my sense of always. The other rolled over in bed. The pillowy cloud beneath the woman's feet sighed and sank. She screamed a tiny scream, scrabbled up the edge of the pillow, gripping at the folds in the fabric. Something slammed the world into blackness a foot away, a giant hand coming down with crushing force. The women knew clearly for the first time that she was going to die, that she would be killed advertently or not by herself, waking up and rolling out of bed in the morning, that the other would go on without her, take over her life. She would wear pants that fit, make marsalas and souffles, host dinner parties, go on dates. She would take herself to the movies and laugh at the dumb parts, would not call their ex-husband and the world without the pathetic woman would be a better place. Something boomed above and light crashed through her like a riptide. The other had pulled back the sheet. The woman cringed, ducking her head into the pillow as the world around her dissolved into an endless roar and the immense shadow of the other's hand blotted out the white ceilinged sky. 
Oh, howled the world, swallowing her ears. There you are. The other lifted the woman towards the wet abyss of her mouth. The woman covered her ears and prayed that she would disappear entirely before herself consumed her, prayed as the other's breath washed unbrushed and moist over her head. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Darkness did not come in the form of teeth. It was a kiss, gentle, the softness of warm lips enfolding her small body, a kiss of forgiveness, of love despite itself. Something that did not soak her up, but drank her in again. The woman yawned, swung her legs to the floor, shivered against the bright shock of cold to her toes. She went downstairs, made an omelet and toast, sliced fruit. She sat for the first time in a month, one place at the table. She surveyed it, considering, moved a stack of books and papers beside the plate, a vase of fresh cut flowers in the place opposite. The phone rang in a far room and she pricked for a moment, hand floating over the silverware. But her omelet was hot and the jam was just beginning to sink into the toast. And the part of her that needed to dash to the phone to check for his missed calls six times an hour had gotten smaller by the day. The phone rang again and the woman settled into her chair. There was the crossword, the weak winter sun curling cat-like through the window and around her warming toes. She bit into her toast and savored the sweetness of jam unfurling across her tongue. She closed one eye and then the other, and when she opened them, there was the world. And now, my conversation with author Kendra Fortmeyer. I won't ask you what you thought. Um, but I thought it was beautiful. Did you? I did. Um, These people also thought it was beautiful. <laughs> I always wonder uh, if the authors, um, when they hear me read their story, if, if, if it how it compares to the way it sounds in your head when you write it and, and when you, you read it. My internal voice is a lot less masculine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. It was beautiful. I, yeah, I'm so honored to be here. What a gorgeous reading. So, so let's talk about asymmetry mm. uh, for a second. Um, uh, this concept of the other um, 
I'm fascinated how that plays out in your head. Sure. Um, gosh, where do we begin? So, this is our breakup story, as we're aware. This is very personal business on such a lovely, giant stage. Um, so when I came to Texas, as you mentioned, I came to the University um, of Texas at Austin for my MFA program, the New Writers Project, which I love very dearly. I was going through this very painful, protracted breakup um, with not a husband, but a boyfriend of eight years. He was my high school sweetheart. We'd been together like a third of my life. Mm. I didn't know how to speak in the first person singular. Like we'd just been together so long, you know? Um, and so we were going through this terrible breakup as I was entering a writing program, beginning to write and tell all these stories. And so I was processing a lot of them through writing. And the concept of the other came about, I hate to say like, I hope you guys know what heartbreak is like because it isn't that terrible, but it's a universal phenomenon, right? Like we've been there, we know it's intense, it's transformative, and you have all these different emotional forces pulling at you. And so as a very aggressively productive person, I was ready to embrace that American narrative of like the success story. Like I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps. I'm recovering, I'm moving on. But there was still a part of me that was grieving really hard for this dying relationship. Mm. And so those were sort of the splits, which we saw in the story in the form of the other, where the woman, the original woman is still just clinging and she won't let go of this personal narrative of tragedy. But there's part of her that's just like, you gotta move on. What are you doing? You haven't showered. Like, we're trying to meet new people. This How many of us have been there? <laughs> Much to the dismay of anybody around us. It's true, isn't it? Like, it's awful to be going through heartbreak, but it's also awful for everyone around you. Yes. Like, you become so insufferable. It's not simply a spectator sport. No, it's not. And you're calling your sister, and you're calling your mom, and your best friends, you know, in the middle of the night, and you're like, but what if he made a mistake? And they're like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But one thing that I wanted to mention that I touched on in the story, and in basically everything that I write, is... The biggest takeaway for me of this breakup was learning to approach that part of yourself with compassion and how important it is to really love yourself. Because people come and people go, circumstances change, and you have no control right. over any of that. The but only thing you can control is your response. And you'll always be with yourself. Right. So you have to love yourself. Right. Which is why I wanted that kiss at the end instead of a monstrous. Very nice, very nice. Um, are you married now? I am married now. Yeah, I, I, I met your fella backstage. Mm -hmm. How long have y'all been together? So, oh, we've been together over four years, but we got married in April in our backyard in Austin, so. Nice. Yeah. So you're still newlyweds. We are, we are. I keep forgetting that because we've lived together sure. and so on for so long. But, but technically you have a year for which people are obligated to say best wishes to you. Yeah, and give us money. Yeah, and give you money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is he a writer? No, he, um, actually he's a software engineer. So he writes software. Right. And as he says, computers read his work and also nerds. So. He's a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and an engineer. <laughs> which makes him near and dear to my heart. 
<laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Hole in the Middle? Oh, please. Your, your YA novel? Mm. Um, hole in the Middle. The, the protagonist literally mm. has a hole in the middle of her body. Yes. What's that about? What is that about? <laughs> What's going on there? Sure. <laughs> that is... You know, that's a question so many publishers asked when we were sending it out. Yeah. Um, as you can guess, I love these what-if questions. So yeah. many of the writers on your show say this. Yes. You know, I love this. What if? Right. What if? Right. What if you got to a date and there were two of you already there? Um, what if mermaids could live forever? What if NPCs were sentient and, oh my God, their lives are terrible. Um, but yeah, so in this case, and I apologize because I have some friends in the audience who have heard this story for like a million years. Um, I was dating, as, as we know now about my personal life, I had a disastrous beginning of grad school. So here I was dating, um, which is awful. Uh, dating is the worst. Um, so I came home from some mediocre date. I don't remember which one it was. I did go on a date with a guy who was a fishmonger. So let's just say it was the fishmonger. Um, let's just. I mean, and we could have, I feel like we could have had a beautiful relationship, except he told me he didn't read. And I was like, how did you think this was going to go? <laughs> so. It's the live version of a plaid couch. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so I come home from my date which is soundly mediocre and I'm lying on my apartment floor and staring at the ceiling and thinking like this is the worst why do we try why does anyone try anything um, and all of a sudden this voice popped into my head that said it would be so much harder if you had a hole in the middle of your body And as a writer who loves the weird, I love fantasy, I love science fiction, I was really intrigued by this what if. So I sat up and I thought, what? And this voice said, here are the options for a girl like me. And I was like, whoa! And so I ran to my writing desk and started writing it down. That turned into the first line of what became the novel. Because I love those what ifs and it is that question of like, well, what if you have a hole in your middle? Like, what is riding a bicycle like? What is it? like to go to gym class where everyone's changing. What do you do? And what happens when you try to enter a romantic relationship? And so that was sort of the premise and how it took off. You do like the weird. I love the weird. <laughs> it's one of the things I love most about you, Kendra. Thank you. Yeah. I thought it was my dental hygiene. <laughs> you do have great teeth and an amazing smile. As do you. Well... Yeah. I, I, I wasn't backstage flossing. <laughs> it's true. He's telling all my dirty secrets. I was flossing before the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is, it's a novel for, for young adults. Mm. And so, obviously, there's a message in there for young women mm -hmm. about body consciousness. Absolutely. There? Yeah. Yeah. Because Which we... would be... Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is dating is so easy without a hole in your middle. No, it's um. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you do think about the messaging that we give, I mean, you yeah. have a daughter. If you think about the messaging right. that our society gives to girls about their bodies from the time they're, I mean, not infants, but the time they can like understand messaging. You know, right. like you're too fat, you're too thin, your legs should be longer, your legs should be hairless, your you know, your boobs are too big, they're too small. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. we're just constantly saying your body is wrong. Yeah. 
And I was really interested in this premise of like, what if there is a body that is actually medically lacking and how it kind of throws into light how none of these other things really matter mm -hmm. when you're whole and healthy. And so a big part of the book is the main character learning to look at all these expectations and all these messages she's getting from the outside and saying like, no, you don't define who I am. You don't say that I'm broken or there's something wrong with me. This is my body and this is who I am. And that's the message that I really want everyone to embrace, but especially teen girls. Absolutely. Yes! Give it up one more time for the author of the evening, Kendra Fortmeyer. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith, the best in the business, y'all. We also had help from Audrey No. This episode was edited by Brendan Burns and recorded by Night Owl Recording in Austin. Our music was provided by Peter Tran. Thank you, Peter. He plays with a group called Curved Light. You can find their releases at curvedlight.bandcamp.com. And you can also find Peter playing with HD Sunrise and with the group Lower Dens. And my great and undying thanks to Kendra Fortmeyer. You can pick up her YA novel right now from Soho Teen. It's called Hole in the Middle. And you can find lots of her stories published in various venues, all linked on her website, KendraFortmeyer.com. Now, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, why not give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts? And while you're at it, suggest a story for the show. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and Jenny Radelette of the Flying Radelette Sisters. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.